0: This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with a message that Jesus is alive today. Today's lesson is titled Lucky Charm Religion, and it comes from 1 Samuel 4 1 through 22. But before we start our lesson today, WordTalk Inc. could use your support. Now playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song was ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gift. So won't you do that Today. Won't you call us at 601-483-8648 and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi 39304. Now your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax exempt ministry. Your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense of providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13.16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. If you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Again, that's radiobibleclass with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. And you can also catch us on iTunes by going to the podcast section and searching for WMER space radiobibleclass with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. If you would, go ahead and turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 4. But while you're doing that, let me just catch you up real quick. So we started off in chapter 1. We studied about this man named Elkanina, and he had two wives. One was Hannah and was Penina. Now the second one, Penina, she was the one that was able to get, have children. She did not have a problem with infertility like Hannah did. But Penina would taunt Hannah. She would make fun of her because she couldn't have children to the point that Hannah wouldn't eat and she would cry and weep bitterly. Elkanai didn't understand. He would tell her, aren't I better than 10 sons? But she never really answered that question because there was so much pain there. And then we also saw three more characters. We saw Eli, who was the head priest at the time. And then we saw Hophni and Phinehas, Both of those were his sons and they were priests as well. And what they were doing is these were evil men. The Bible says that they were bad. They were worthless men. But anyhow, we see Hannah, she prays and she's patient as she's praying and she's persistent as she's praying. And so as she's praying to God, she makes a vow. She says, God, if you'll give me a child, I'll give him back to you for the rest of his life. And she honors that vow. She hands Samuel over to Eli and that's where chapter two takes place. Now, during chapter two, we also see an unnamed man that came and he spoke and rebuked Eli and his family. Now, Eli had also gone to his children and asked them, why are you being so immoral? Why are you being corrupt? What I'm hearing from the nation of Israel, from the children of Israel, from the people, it's not good. But his sons wouldn't listen to him. It was a little too late. He had not raised him in the way that he should have. And then we saw last week in chapter three that Samuel is now 12 or 13 years old. God speaks to him, but he had never heard his voice. So the three times that he called out to him, he immediately got up and ran to Eli and said, Eli, here I am. What do you need? And Eli said, go back to sleep, boy. I didn't call you. After the third time though, Eli understood that Samuel was being called by God. God was trying to speak to Samuel. And what was happening there is he was preparing to teach Samuel his voice. He was also preparing him so that he could speak transparently and also openly to kings and noblemen. Because he tells him that he is going to shake things up. He is going to carry out the promise that this unnamed man rebuked Eli and his family over. He was going to take out and honor the rebuke, the prophecy about Eli's house. And then we finished up that Samuel's word didn't fall to the ground. That's what the Bible says. Samuel's word didn't fall to the ground means that they were reliable, that everything that he said came to pass. And so today in chapter four, we're actually going to see a couple of things. And so let's turn right there. I'll be reading out of the ESV, 1 Samuel chapter four, starting in verse one. And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. They encamped at Ebenezer and the Philistines encamped at Athnek. The Philistines drew up in a line against Israel. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men in this battle. So the first thing we see is this first battle that the Philistines and the Israelites go and battle. Now let me give you some background on the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were a ancient people. They were a seafaring people. They came from the island of Greece or Crete. We see that in Amos 9. It tells us that the Philistines came out of Crete. And anyhow, they come in and they live in what is now called the Gaza Strip. But they were sea people. Now, the Philistines were different from the other folks like the Moabites and the Ammonites and those others that Israel battled. The Philistines, because they were a part of the Greek culture, brought over some of the technological advantages that the Greeks had. For example, they knew how to make swords and wield a sword. They had able to make iron and use iron to make chain vests and to make shields and helmets and body protection. So the Philistines were more military advanced than the other folks that Israel had faced in the past. And we see right here in this first battle that they go up and they go into battle and they lose 4,000 men. And that's a huge loss. I want you to notice that in the first two verses, we never hear anything about how they went to God first before they went into this battle. We don't hear anything how they reached out to God, how they went to Samuel to see if they should go to battle. And we'll see later that they do go to Samuel where they ask him to go before God for them, proxy for them, so that they can find out if they should battle or not. But we don't see in these first couple of verses and we see what? They have this terrible outcome. They have 4,000 men that get killed. Let's continue reading. Look with me at verses 3 and 4. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come along and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, who was enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, we're with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Let's stop right there. So there's a couple of things I want you to see. First of all, is let's talk about this Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was built and it was built by the instructions that were given from God to Moses. But this was going to go into the house of God. This is where God was going to come and set, and we'll see that in just sing it. But it was given specific instructions And it was effectively the size of a trunk you may have at your house. It was about three feet long, two feet wide, and uh, about three feet high. But it was made of acacia wood. And then with that, it had gold that went over the acacia wood. Now, on top of the Ark of the Covenant was also made of gold. And there were these two angelic beings. The top was called the Mercy Seat but these two angelic beings were cherry beams and they were wing to wing touching. Now, if you go Google the Ark of the Covenant, you'll see what I'm trying to describe, but we don't know where this is. We just know what the Bible tells us. Uh, We lost track of where it was after King Nebuchadnezzar came in and besieged the nation of Israel and they were taken in captivity. If you remember, King Nebuchadnezzar pillaged the temple at that time and the Ark of the Covenant was lost. Now, again, if you watch the Indiana Jones movies, it'll tell you that it's sitting in a warehouse in Washington, D.C. somewhere, but we don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us where the Ark of the Covenant is these days. Now, the reason why they wanted to bring this into battle is because this Ark of the Covenant represented the very presence of God. Psalms 99.1 says that the Lord reigns, let the people tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim, let the earth quake. What happen is this would sit in the Holy of Holies, this Ark of the Covenant. God would come down and he would sit between the cherubim. And so this was a crucial point for them. They want to bring the Ark of the Covenant in so that God is with them in their battle. Now, I want you to focus on something, though. You may go, Tim, well, what was so bad about that? Well, they had the wrong view of God. They had fallen away from the right way to worship God. They had disregarded his holiness. Eli and his sons had corrupted the whole uh, group of people by stealing and bullying them around that we studied before. And so they were into idol worship, and they were worshiping the Ark of the Covenant. They saw this as a lucky charm, as something good. They had the wrong view of God. They felt like they could use the Ark of the Covenant and they didn't worship God. They were worshiping this Ark. So they say, Bring it in. They've lost 4,000 men. So they group back at their tents. They retreat. And some genius of the elder says, Hey, Why don't we bring in the Ark of the Covenant? Why don't we take it into battle with us? It'll protect us. It'll fight for us. It'll scare the living daylights out of our enemy. And so that's what they do. In verse four, we see that they send men to Shiloh and they bring the Ark of the Covenant back down to where they're at. And Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, are right there. They're carrying the Ark of the Covenant with them. They have this symbol They have this lucky charm. They have this status symbol. And you know what? Unfortunately, it's very similar to some people in the church today. They get confused with having a relationship with God versus knowing about God. You know, they can explain the cross. They can explain baptism. They do all the right stuff, but they don't get in the word of God. They might even be able to tell you the word of God, but they don't live out the word of God. You know, they believe that it's about works, being good and doing good, instead of having a relationship with Jesus. But it really is about a relationship, and it's not about religion. Unfortunately, there are too many people that are going to miss heaven because they are doing things called religion, and they don't have a relationship. See, it does matter that we obey the commands of God, the Word of God. We have to act based on the word of God, not on our own thoughts, not on our way. The Bible tells us there's a way unto man and it leads to destruction. And that's what happened. We're about to see that. See, they had the ability to know God, but they chose to see God in their own way. They built a God in their own image instead of molding themselves into his image. They weren't trying to be more like him. They were trying to make him like them. They hung their hats and their hopes on the wrong view of God. And it had just the opposite effect of what they desired and the idea that they had. See, the wheels on the bus came off of their plan. They thought the Philistines would just lay down and quit when they saw the Ark of the Covenant. When they saw the Ark of God come into the battlefield, they felt like that they would just give up. They would surrender. But that's not what happened. The Philistines fought harder. Look with me at verses 5 through 11. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into camp, all of Israel gave a mighty shout so that the earth resounded. In other words, it shook. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, What does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp, the Philistines were afraid. For they said, A God has come into the camp. And they said, Woe to us! For nothing like that has happened before. Woe to us! Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become a slave to the Hebrews, as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and they fled, and every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter for thirty thousand foot soldiers, of Israel fell and the ark of the God was captured and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas died. So what we see here is the second battle. The second battle, they get beat even worse. As a result of the defeat of the army, there are the death of the two sons that were prophesied. Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were killed. But if that wasn't bad enough, they lost 30,000 men. That's even worse. But even out of the 30,000 men and these two priests that died, the worst thing that happened was there was the capture of the ark. You might say, Tim, why was this so bad? Because the ark represented God. And to them, it's an idol that they were worshiping instead of God. So the glory is gone. God is gone to them. I do want you to understand the Philistines had the wrong theology, but they knew about God just like the Israelites did. Now, they said many gods that saved them from the plagues, that got them from the Egyptians. And we know that there was only one God, the one true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the Philistines saw that they were in trouble, so they fight harder. They say, men, you got to fight like you never fought, otherwise we are going down. The Bible doesn't come out and tell us this, but a lot of commentators say that the Israelites probably went into battle thinking we've got this. They went into battle with the wrong attitude, and they didn't fight harder. They took it for granted. They believed that God would protect them, so they didn't have to fight. You know, the Bible tells us that we're not to tempt God, but that's really kind of what they did. They demanded God that he would show up in spite of their action and their disobedience and all that they're doing, how they're not worshiping the way that he told Moses they're supposed to. They are demanding that he show up and win a battle for them. Why are they doing this? It's because they don't know God. They're treating him like a lucky charm that I bring in this Ark of the Covenant and because I have this that I can't lose. How many times have you heard about a baseball player that's on a hitting streak and how he won't change certain things? He won't shave. He won't cut his hair. Football players do the same thing. Athletes do things because they say that this is bringing them good luck. And that's what the Israelites think right here is that if we bring God in, he's going to bring us good luck. But sadly, they learned that God is a God of love, but he's also a God of judgment. And if you want to know God better, you better learn this fact that God is a God of love and we love to preach that. But he's also a God of judgment and knowing him means we understand both parts of that. Many take God for granted today. They assume just because they go to church, just because they listen to their favorite pastor a line, just because they give a tithe, just because they say the right things or they act the right way when they're supposed to. God owes them something. God Is going to take care of them. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Now, yes, God's grace does bail us out from time to time, and He doesn't have to do that, and that is God's grace. But I want you to understand that God doesn't owe us anything. They had put God on a shelf and they were only taking Him down when they needed Him, when they were in a bind, when things didn't go well, when the sickness came. But their praying only came when times got bad and we do the same thing. We demand God to heal us. But God wants a relationship with us. God wants something that's 24-7. He wants us to remember that we're to worship him all the time, not just when the wheels fall off, not when we're in a wreck, when our marriage isn't working, when our children aren't acting the way we want to, when our job isn't going the way we want it to go. God wants us to worship him in the good and the bad. The problem was they had a heart problem. They only worshiped God when they needed God. They took him off the shelf. Luke 4, 8 tells us that we are to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then again, they saw the Ark of the Covenant as an idol. And we're not supposed to have any idols. Right there, we saw in verse 3 where it said, if we carry it into battle, it will save us from our enemies it is not god it they're talking about there is the ark of the covenant it is an idol how many idols do you have in your life you go well tim i don't have an idol i don't sit down and worship something well the question is what do you go to first do you go to god first or what do you use to get you out of trouble do you go to god and talk to him before you do anything else if not that may be an idol in your life And now let's finish up looking at the rest of the chapter and we'll see that Eli dies. God's prophecy comes to pass. We've already seen his two sons, they die in this battle. And now look at verse 12 with me. A man of Benjamin ran from the battle line and came to Shiloh the same day with his clothes torn and with dirt on his head. When he arrived, Eli was sitting on his seat by the road, watching for his heart tremble with the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told the news, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the sound of the outcry, he said, What is this uproar? Then the man hurried and came and told Eli. Now Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were set so that he could not see. And the man said to Eli, I am he who has come from the battle. I fled the battle today. And he said, How did it go, my son? He who brought the news answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has also been a great defeat among the people. Your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the Ark of the Covenant has been captured. And as soon as he mentioned the Ark of God, Eli fell over backwards from his seat and by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy, and he judged Israel for forty years." So we see that he's been the head judge for 40 years. He's heavyset because he's been eating the choice piece of meats instead of following what God has told him. He's been doing it his way. He's been worshiping God his way. How many times in our church today do we want the air conditioner set our way? We want the music sung our way. We want the pastor to preach our way. And what happens here is he falls over backwards and he dies because he's heavy set. But it's even worse. Look at verses 19 through 22. And now his daughter in law, the wife of Phinehas, was pregnant and about to give birth. And, and when she heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father in law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. About the time of her death, the women attending her said, Do not be afraid, for you have borne a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. And she named the child Ichabod saying, The glory has departed from Israel because the Ark of the Covenant has been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband dying. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel for the Ark of the God has been captured. What happens in verse 12 through 22? The nation of Israel hear the bad news about the capture of the Ark of the Covenant and Eli dies. And Eli's daughter-in-law gives birth to a son, and she names him Ichabod, which means that God has left us. I think this daughter-in-law speaks clearly for the whole nation of Israel and their view on God. When she says, because the ark, because the thing of God is gone, the glory is gone. Sadly, they don't realize it, but the glory of God had already been gone. They had not prayed before they went into battle, They made this decision really without consulting the priest. It never says that Samuel said this was a good idea, that God told them to do this. They were doing things their way. And what did they ask? They asked, why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? And it was because they had fallen away from God. They had been led astray by these worthless and evil priests. But you know what? Some of us are doing the same thing. We're supposed to be maturing. We're supposed to be growing in the Lord. We need to take responsibility for our actions. We need to quit blaming our weaknesses. We need to understand our bad decisions. And we need to know that God will forgive us, but we have to ask him. We have to go back to that place where we last had it. Last place where God was when he, we reached out to him. And God can restore us to that place. If most of us were honest, we would say that most of the wrecks in our life, most of the problems that we have in life is because we got I involved. We became focused on us and we got our focus off God. And that's where the nation of Israel is right here. You know, First John 1, 9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from our wickedness. Today, you can be cleansed by confessing. Confessing means that you admit, you take responsibility, you accept the blame, and you ask for forgiveness. And it's more than just asking for forgiveness because you got caught. It's about changing, knowing that we are to do what God says, and this is a better way. It may not be the way that the world goes. It may not be the fun way sometimes, but God says his ways are the right way and he's faithful to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of our wickedness if we will just confess. Verse 22 sums it up. Then she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. Even this priest's wife was giving glory to something other than God. Her words echo the words of the Israelites and about the process of how they saw God. God was not gone. His glory was still there, but the people had focused on something else. They could no longer see the glory because they were focused on themselves. They didn't know God. They simply knew about God. They took him for granted. They disregarded his holiness. They blamed him for their problems and they refused to give him glory. And as a result, they had a poor idea of who God really was and what he could and would do. Today, I want to ask you in closing, do you know God? I mean, do you really know God? Or is he simply some good luck charm? Do you focus on him or do you take him for granted? Do you recognize his holiness and you exalt him? Or do you blame him for your mistakes and continue to blame him as things don't go right for you? Is any inconvenience his fault? Do you glorify him or do you glorify yourself and your things? Today, I ask you, what is it? Is it about you or is it about him? Is it about a religion or is it about a relationship? Let us pray. Dearly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for our time together again today, Lord. We thank you that you've spoken to us. You've shown us that a blessed people, the nation of Israel, uh, the people that you love, Lord, that they got away from you. And when they did, they turned to the things and they saw things the wrong way. Lord, I ask that what we saw today, that you would just wake us up, that we would understand that you want a relationship with us. Lord, that you want us to have a word with you 24-7, not just when we need you. We don't take you off the shelf and use you when things go wrong, but you want to be there in the good and the bad. You want a relationship. Lord, I pray for the ones that don't have that relationship with you today. Maybe there are those that have asked you in their heart, but For whatever reason, they stopped there. They never really built that relationship. Lord, I pray today that they would build a relationship with you. Lord, maybe there's one that's listening that doesn't know you at all. Lord, I pray today that they would ask you to be Lord of their life. Lord, they would believe on your finished work on the cross and how you overcame death. And they would confess with their mouth that you are Lord of their life. Lord, we thank you for the many blessings you give this ministry. Lord, we thank you for the blessings that you're going to give us. And Lord, I pray that this word will not fall to the ground, but those that hear it will plant deep in their souls. It's in your name we pray. It's in Jesus' name, amen.